Wholesaling Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. This is the Home Plate Podcast with Ryan Port and Calvin Smith. Talking all things baseball in the city of Nashville. Just a bit outside. On Nashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 102.5 The Game. Welcome into another edition of the Home Plate Podcast. Ryan Porth, Calvin Smith here with you. Calvin, earlier this week, when I knew we were going to have the opportunity to record a new podcast, I thought we were going to be opening with the Tomahawk Chop. I really did. I, I... I had this expectation and this feeling, especially in the eighth inning of Game 4 in St. Louis, yeah. that we were going to open this podcast with the Tomahawk Chop. I'm glad you were optimistic going into Game I, look, because Because to be completely honest, like going into game day, like of course I'm a Braves fan, right? And I want that team to go win. But sometimes you just get a feeling. And sometimes you just know when you don't know at all. But you just have a feeling but like you know. today is just not the day. And I had that feeling. Like I had I was talking to some friends and they were like, How you feeling? I didn't even try to BS it. Like I, I just think they're gonna lose. Like it it just felt and was playing out in that way throughout the series. And, you know, ten runs in right the off first the first inning. Right off the top. Before you take one at bat. Ten runs. And you're completely out of the game. You know, they could have come back. Certainly this offense was very high-powered throughout the season. But there's no coming back from giving up ten runs in the top of the first inning in a winner-take-all game. Maybe any baseball game, but especially game five, winner-take-all. You're going to the NLCS and you give up a ten-burger to to open the game. There was no coming back from that. The season was over at that point. Here's what's crazy. I don't even know how that happens. Like how there is just such a massive and complete destruction or swing of a game for the Cardinals where everything happened right. Where Freddie Freeman bobbles a ground ball. Just stuff like that that just doesn't all happen to come together until one insane half inning where the Braves put together a fantastic season and it all comes to an end at the hands of a team who was not as good as them. Period. But that's Point the, blank. But that's the game we play. That's baseball. I think baseball is one of the most random sports out there. What did I warn you about in this matchup? It had nothing to do with the players on the field. What did I warn you about before this series started? We we had an idea it was going to be going to be Braves Cardinals the last time we had a podcast. Yes. The thing I warned you about and all Braves fans was that the St. Louis Cardinals organization knows how to win in the playoffs and the Atlanta Braves organization knows how to lose in the playoffs. And I thought the bottom of the eighth and the rest of game four was almost like a perfect microcosm of that. And then game five, obviously, Atlanta Atlanta sports doing what Atlanta sports knows how to do. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's so weird. Because as analytically inclined as baseball is, you you create a lot of models to do all these predictive things, and over a great sample size that you have in baseball, you can get a really good idea of what's going to happen. But then a lot of things can change in one game, and models don't work out in that way. So that's what makes it so weird to say the Cardinals organization knows how to win in the playoffs, because that's when things get incredibly random. 
That doesn't mm-hmm. mean there still aren't predictive elements and matchups that you should be leveraging across different points in the game. You certainly have to be playing the strategy of it. But just like in any sport, any random thing can happen. And that's what's so weird about how teams like the Cardinals <laughs> somehow seem to just get lucky. Because that's what it comes down to for me is I think a lot of people even in the business would say a lot of random stuff happens. And when random things just fall your way, a lot of times that's luck. And luck is when preparation meets opportunity. I completely understand that. But man, yeah, talk about randomness. I know, right? <laughs> like it, it, when when the Nashville Predators went on their Stanley Cup oh, yeah. run, there were little things along the way that if they didn't get those breaks, I don't know if they end up in the Stanley Cup final. If Freddie Freeman catches that ball at first base, the little poke to right field by Yachty yep. in the bottom of the eighth, if Freddie Freeman comes up with that ball, and I'm not saying he should have, yeah, yeah. but if if the game of inches went the Braves' way on that on that play, yep. I think we're talking about a Braves-Nationals-NLCS. I really do. We probably are. But since Yachty hit it just a couple feet over uh, Freeman's glove, all of a sudden the game is tied. The Cardinals win that game in extras, which, by the way, when when Atlanta brought in Julio Tehran in extras, I just knew that was a ticking time bomb. Well, like it he was wasn't e- even on the roster to begin with for <laughs> a reason. <laughs> like when he came into the bottom of the tenth, it was like, okay, if he survives this inning, the Braves better get runs in the next inning. If they plan to bring back Tehran, or else this thing, this thing's over, and there's going to be a game five yeah. in Atlanta. Yeah, it's. Like you mentioned the Preds run and how things just have to break your way. And when we're when I listen to Jared and the GM, sometimes the GM Floyd Reese will allude to stuff like this. Like sometimes it doesn't matter how good you are. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't matter at all about you know how mu- how much money you've spent on players or whatever. You just have to have things break your way in certain moments, and that's a lot of what happens in every playoff format, every playoff structure out there, right? I mean, you can be an incredibly talented team. The National Predators, we've seen it the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. They've been one of the best teams in the NHL, but they haven't gotten back to the Cup. Why? Random. So, some of those those puck luck yeah. instances in the playoffs haven't gone their way. And you can't bank on puck luck ever. And the Braves haven't gotten baseball luck since 2001 Yep, in the playoffs. Yes. Which is the last time they advanced in the playoffs, yes. which is kind of hard to believe given... How good the they were. Of, the, given the, the amount of times they have made the playoffs since 2001. Yes. Which I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's over 10. It's well over 10. It's going to be around 13, I think. Something like that in that range. But I, I just don't... It, it's discouraging, but it's also not crushing because I think that comes with, comes with being a part of understanding the nature of... Sports, right? Is that the playoff? We're going to get into the playoff format in around the horn, mm-hmm. but playoff structures aren't meant to prove who the best team is. That's not true at all. It kind of happened that way in the American League. You know, the Yankees better than the Twins. I picked the Twins because I had a gut feeling. The Astros better than whoever they were going to play coming out of the wild card. The mm-hmm. AL shook out like that, but the National League didn't at all. The, the complete whole, opposite. The complete opposite of what should have happened. But we're not in this to do the most predictable thing. We're not in this to actually determine who the best team is, right? And We're that, in this for the entertainment, and the that, spectacle. It's and, awesome. And that's what makes postseasons, not only in baseball, but in all sports, basically life's greatest reality TV. Oh, absolutely. 
It's it's still one of the things on TV that's appointment watching. For sure. The Braves have made the playoffs nine times since nine. 0-1. Oh, wow. I overestimated. Okay. They've lost four game fives in that time. To the Giants, the Cubs, the Astros. That was 0-2, 0-3, Yeah. And then 19 against the Cardinals. Mm. That I mean, it's it's weird how it just happens to the city of Atlanta, too. Like The city of Atlanta, how their does that sports happen? teams find new ways to lose on the biggest stages. You think of the Falcons, 28-3. to 3. You yep. think of Georgia, who can't close out to, uh, Alabama to save their lives. Yep. And now the Braves. And the Atlanta Hawks are just really bad. They lost their hockey team. <laughs> <laughs> Georgia Tech sucks at just about everything. My Yellow Jackets without the triple option, yeah. Yeah. So, just, I, I really felt for you, for Chase McCabe, for Jared Stillman, for all the I can Braves only fans imagine that I what know. Jared Stillman was saying in his head. Well, I was filling in for Jared Wednesday afternoon right. as Game 5 was happening. And I said to Floyd as it was happening, I was like, there's no way Jared Stillman could have been hosting this right now. Mm-hmm. He would be losing his mind. He would be depressed. There, He would be worth nothing to you right yes. now as your, uh, as your co-host. I was sitting in the studio and Ian Safar, he just looked at me and I just had this total uh, feeling of defeat on my face. At, on, at what my point, body language. At what point in the first inning did you know it was over? At the end of it. Like when it got to 10? When the half inning ended. And because when you're in the when you're in the moment, right? You're watching something and you're thinking, "Okay, here's okay, like that, you know what I know this is a big lead right now. Like they're at 7, they're at 9, they're at 10 now. But like, you know, they get this out here and then Here's what they can do throughout the game. And even throughout the game, there were moments where I was like, there's still a path to come back. It's just incredibly improbable. Mm-hmm. But when it ended, you, you kind of sit back and you're just like, wow. Yeah. It's actually 10 runs and they have nine innings. I mean, that that means they got to probably get two in the second, two in the third. They can take the fourth off, get three in the fifth. And that puts you at, what I say, two, two, three. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's seven runs. And then you're close. And then it's a game. But that would involve not giving up any more runs. In which, which also they did. did not happen. <laughs> the Cardinals got to 13. For it's, you. All right. So for you, what was the most disappointing part of that series for the Braves? Uh, aside from 10 runs in the first inning in game five. Yeah. I mean, that, that was obviously my first thought. Man, I mean, that's. Like game three, I you know what I'm gonna go I'm gonna go back to Chad Martin's oblique injury when he came in the game. Chris and, Martin, yeah, what I say, Chad, Chad, Chad Chris yeah. Martin, his oblique injury, and then Luke Jackson has to come in and he gives up the home run. Right, that's just a moment where, and that was in game one. You, you talk about turning points in a series where something just doesn't feel right about that, and that's not why they lost. That's mm-hmm. not really completely indicative. Of them losing, but it is a big part of losing game one. Well, think if it's Chris Martin instead of Julio Tehran in extra innings in, in a lot game of, four. A lot of things are different. And for me, that is that is what I look at and I think, wow, like that's kind of a, a big point where win probability in a certain game and across a whole series is going to change a lot. But Adam Duvall comes up clutch in Very game true. two. He comes up clutch after Dansby Swanson saved... Game yes. three initially yes. by tying it in the top of the ninth. And after game three, and the fact that they had a lead in game four after Ozzie Albee's home run. Yep. 
I'm sitting here in the office thinking this thing is uh, this thing's looking pretty good for the Atlanta Braves. Oh well, what, what we talked about with this with Chip Carey, I think we talked about this with Paul Bird, we talked about this with Tom Glavin. I'm I'm kind of going to get to a different point here from what you were saying, but the window is still so wide open, right? Because you you said things were looking good for them in that series, but I think things you said things are looking good, and my first thought was. They have every opportunity for the next three years. The breakthrough didn't happen this year, Mm -hmm. but I think that they aren't ahead of schedule. They're on schedule right now, and who in the National League is going to be better next year? That's a really tough question because you look at the Dodgers and you think, man, they they really may not be the same. I thought they weren't going to be the same this year in the regular season. I was completely wrong there. But they do have a lot of young talent still. Dustin May, Gavin Lux. Lux. I mean, they, they have a lot of uh, Alex Verdugo. Yes. Nice player. But the Braves still have all of that coming up too. Yeah. It's, no, it, it's it's completely valid. And I will be curious to see how the Braves rebound. I think I think random, if random has to break in their favor at some point in this window, right? <laughs> well, if we... If we shift to the other NLDS series with that, Random finally broke the Nationals' way. The Nationals, yes. like the Braves, have been notorious for pooping their pants <laughs> in the playoffs, especially in Game 5s. Yes. And I told you, Calvin. <laughs> you did. Around Labor Day that the Nationals were going to beat the Dodgers in the in the, the first round. Well, you said the Dodgers would lose in the first round then. I don't think you said it was the Nationals. No, I told you it was going to be the Nationals. And you looked at me like I had three heads. I thought it was in July you said the Nationals, but you you have been saying since May that the Dodgers will be asleep come playoff time. And here we are. They're done after 106 wins. And you you did call that. Absolutely. After game two, we saw each other here at the station, and I told you, I said, you know the Nationals are going to win you this You doubled, series, right? tripled, and quadrupled down. The texts I got from you, the Nationals got this in the back. <laughs> like, even when the Nationals were losing, <laughs> Nationals got this. When they were down this. 8-2 in Game 3, <laughs> yeah, Nationals still got this. Trust him, I, did I not, believe. I did not feel that way as that <laughs> game was going along. You stood by it. But I tell you what, Game 5, that was an instant classic baseball game. Yeah. So much drama in... The later innings, Walker Bueller was cruising along, and then they opened the door a little bit. They were up 3 nothing. Juan Soto hits an RBI single, and that opened the door in Game 5 for the Nationals to come back. Yep. And Clayton Kershaw comes in. Now, I how do you feel about Dave Roberts going to Clayton Kershaw, not, not only to get Adam Eaton to get out of a jam in the top of the seventh, but sticking with him against Rendon and Soto in the eighth. That's really, that is a really, really good question, right? Because having hindsight on it is obviously going to skew my view. But I think during that game, I was a little sidetracked. I was running the board for Smashville Live or uh, Penalty Box Radio or something like that. So I wasn't completely locked into the flow of the game and how things were looking. Mm -hmm. But... I know that despite everything that's been tough about Clayton Kershaw in the postseason, I've got the stats in front of me. It's over 150 innings, an ERA of almost four and a half, an incredible sample size that indicates 
for some reason, this guy really struggles in the postseason. Mm-hmm. And I think I would have ridden my guy. Because when you talk about telling a great story, you look at Clayton Kershaw and you see a guy who is a great pitcher, a Hall of Fame pitcher. First ballot. First ballot, fantastic pitcher who's done everything you can possibly do in the regular season. He just hasn't figured it out. And I bet on that guy over the 1,000s of thousands of innings he's pitched in his life where he's been a dominant pitcher. I bet on that 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 can show up for me. Mm-hmm. I, I know it looks really rough in the postseason, and it's I can't say that what he's doing in the postseason is random, but I ride my guy because of how prolific of a pitcher he's been in his career. And now I think... He's older, and things are a lot different. Well, wasn't it last year he closed out the NLCS out yeah, of the bullpen? He did. He did. He's had some success over the years out of the bullpen. Just nothing dominant. Nothing. Correct. No trademark moment. And he's less dominant now than he has been in the past, just yes. overall, either regular season or postseason. Yes, absolutely. See, I don't think this was an egregious error by Dave Roberts. No. To keep him in. The pitch to Anthony Rendon that Rendon clubbed out of there with a three-iron Yes, was basically at his feet. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to give props to Anthony Rendon on that home run. Yep, absolutely. What else do you want Kershaw to do? It's not like he grooved one right down the middle to Rendon. And and what's crazy is the baseball is different from the regular season baseball. I don't know if you've seen it, but someone's tracking the drag on the ball, and there's more drag, which means there's more air resistance against the ball as it flies through the air in the postseason. We don't know why. Mm-hmm. But something appears to be different about this postseason baseball now. <laughs> so it's even more impressive on yeah. Anthony Rendon that he did that. And then, of course, the next guy. And then the next pitch, my guy. Yeah, I'm going to buy a Juan Soto jersey <laughs> if they win the World Series. I don't know if I will. But still, Juan Soto, Clayton Kurt, I mean, he did groove one right down the middle of the Soto. Yeah. And Soto hit it. I don't think it's landed yet. I think it's <laughs> still on its way to uh, to Oregon. Yeah, it's gone. I mean, it was as big of a bomb as you'll see in the postseason. I remember looking up at the TV from my chair in the studio and like watching Kershaw come set and groove that pitch right in. It's one of those things where you're like, oh man, that one looks like it's it's a good pitch to hit. And Soto's swing. I mean, you watched him come through, follow through, and you knew. And you mm-hmm. saw Kershaw drop to his knees, head in his arms, and you thought, this is so sad to see. Someone who's known as a great guy, a great pitcher, and it just all collapses in his face at the hands of this 21, 22-year-old kid mm-hmm. who's a phenom, mm-hmm. who just slugged his ball out of the park and had no regrets about it. Yeah, Historic moment for Juan Soto. Awesome to see. But at the same time, you watch and you're just like, wow. So... Kershaw gives up the back-to-back homers, and I think we both agree it was unfortunate for Kershaw. Yeah. Dave Robert Dave Roberts was not in the wrong. Dave Roberts, after the game, did address the Kershaw this decision to stay with him after he got Adam Eaton out in the seventh inning and trotted him back out there in the eighth. Clayton, I felt good about Clayton right there at Eaton, and... Um, when you got Rendon and Soto, so I felt that um, I like Clayton. I threw, I don't know what it was, a couple pitches, and we had Clayton ready for whatever today. And uh, so for Maya to, to go through Soto, 
um, you know, Kenta in this role, we really liked him against the right-hander. And um, the success that Clayton's had against Soto uh, with a two-run lead, I'll take Clayton, you know, any day in that situation. I just think it's one of those where it was easy for me to get Clayton with uh, the low pitches to get Rendon and then go out there and get Soto and um, to have Kenta behind him. Uh, that was that was my thought and not have Kenta go through Soto. So that was Clayton Kershaw. Obviously showing a lot of trust in his guy, Clayton Kershaw, which we both agree that was an okay approach by Dave Roberts. And if, if you fault him, you fault him for not taking him out after Rendon. But I don't fault him for leaving him in there to pitch to Rendon. No. And it's lefty on lefty on Soto. I know Soto's hitting lefties and righties. Just he's bashing yeah. them both yeah. right now. I get it. Like it may not have mattered who you put in, to be quite honest, uh, against Juan Soto. But this leads me to the next decision by Dave Roberts, which I think is the more egregious one. The Kershaw one is getting all the attention because it's Clayton Kershaw and he's a future Hall of Famer. How in the world do you leave Joe Kelly in the game in the 10th inning when, yes, he looked just fine in the ninth to go 1-2-3 on 8-9-1 in the Nationals order? I get it. How in the world do you just trot Joe Kelly back out there for 2-3-4 in the 10th inning? How? It's Joe stinking Kelly. It's not like this guy is going to be just a flamethrowing reliever and get every single guy out. Joe Kelly is a very average reliever, very average pitcher. He was pulled from a starting rotation for a reason. Right. Now, we have seen a lot of starters over the years become good relievers, but Joe Kelly is just a guy. He's just another guy. You had your closer warming up in the bullpen, Kenley Jansen, who hasn't been the same Kenley Jansen this season as he has been in years past. But it is still Kenley Jansen warming up in the bullpen. Who am I going to go down with? I'm going to go down with my guy. Like you went down in the eighth inning with your guy, with Clayton Kershaw. Yep. How do you not? How do you not apply the same thought process in the tenth inning against Adam Eaton, Anthony Rendon, and Juan Soto? For me, when you look at what Dave Roberts did late in that game. Your season is on the line. He kind of, it felt like he managed that game like there was another day. You know, like when we've seen managers in the past, like a Joe Madden or let, let's say like Tony La Russa, Terry Frank, like they don't wait very long at all with a hook. We've seen it with the Braves too. Like how do you, okay. So I understand leaving him out there in the 10th for Eaton. You walk out of Eaton for me, I'm going right to the pen. You cannot mess around with Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto, the best 3-4 combo in all of baseball. You do not mess around with that. He leaves Kelly in there to face Anthony Rendon. He hits it off the wall. So you've got a double. The dude who hit a double in like the sixth inning, home run in the eighth, and then a double in the tenth, All of a sudden, it's second and third, no out. And you have Adam Kolarik (laughs) in the bullpen. You have Kenley Jansen in the bullpen. 
two better options in this moment than Joe Stinkin' Kelly. <laughs> Would you agree with that? Yeah, especially given the situation. So at that point, if I'm Dave Roberts, I'm either walking Soto like he did and going and getting Jansen. I would have put Jansen in to start the the 10th anyway. But if we're kind of going with how this is unraveling, yeah. You walk Soto, you bring in Kenley Jansen. At this point, bases loaded, no out. How do you keep Joe Kelly in there? I know how Kendrick didn't have a hit at that point in the game, but this is a good veteran hitter. You got to have at what point are you going to bring in Kenley Jansen? What what are you saving Kenley Jansen for? This is why I say it, it came across as Dave Roberts managing like he had another day when he didn't. And then Joe Kelly gives up a grand slam to Howie Kendrick. What might have been going through his brain in that moment is Kelly's going to be able to limit the damage. Then I'll be able to go get him after Howie Kendrick. Or I'll go be able to go get somebody after this Howie Kendrick at bat. Joe Kelly will limit this damage right here. And then we'll have another inning to, or another half inning to play for with my offense on the field. Maybe only down two. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's going through his brain, and then he's thinking maybe somehow they can tie it or something, and he's thinking we got to bring Jansen in next, and that's a little too futuristic. Yeah. That, I, I don't even know. That's just what could have been going through his brain. Right. And if you don't walk Juan Soto, then you bring in Adam Kolarik, who is a lefty specialist, sidewinder. You bring him in, get Soto out, and then you bring Jansen in to, to face Kendrick and the, and the rest of that order. Uh, I was stunned at how Dave Roberts did not move from Joe Kelly until it was way too late. It is interesting to choose Joe Kelly as the guy you're going to stand by and die with. Right? I mean, that's If you did that with Clayton Kershaw in the eighth, why didn't you do that with Kenley Jansen? I, I will die by Clayton Kershaw every day. Right. Right? I will die by you know Mike Soroka or whatever. What other other pitcher in the bigs? Garrett Cole, even though he's pitching his like Verlander had a bad game. If Verlander has a bad game... You will take that because that's nowhere close to what's supposed to happen. You're going down with your with your best. Absolutely. You're not leaving your best warming up in the bullpen. It's like when the Braves had Craig Kimbrell warming up against the Dodgers years ago. Yep. And there he just stood in the bullpen. Arms crossed. Arms crossed. Watching it unravel in front of him. And there, Kenley Jansen, Adam Kolarik doing the same thing in the bullpen for the Dodgers. This was Dave Roberts explanation not just of Joe Kelly but of who was available for a hands-on deck situation and how he explained that he trusted Joe Kelly Julio's I mean Julio's available um obviously Dustin's available but two innings in an off day we haven't done that to him um so now you're looking at potential um effectiveness and so I don't think anybody could have been more effective than Joe in that ninth inning and, and so it was 10 pitches the velocity, the command, the curveball. And so, uh, you know, to go out there and send them out there again, I felt really good about it. It's, it's wow. puzzling. It's, wow. It's puzzling because I think it was Dustin May he was referencing, right, when he said mm-hmm. on the rest and that would have been off schedule and he wouldn't have been ready for that. I mean, it's the playoffs, it, it, right? It, I mean, <laughs> that that's kind of weird. That just tells me he didn't believe in Dustin May or whoever he was going to throw out there. And for he he did make a mention of the spin, the velocity, the curveball. It had all still been there, and you know, what he threw in the last inning, and there were indications there wasn't it wasn't slacking off. So he was informed on his decision, but then he stuck with it too long. Right, right. He 
but but his explanation of Dustin May, oh, we've never done that to him. Of two innings, then an off day. That's not how you play. That kind of goes back to my thinking that Dave Roberts managed this game like he had another day. That he did not treat this like it was game five, do or die. If he treated it like it was game five, do or die, he would not have left Joe Kelly in there to face Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto. Like, that is the only part of the Nationals order that is getting to you. Right? Yeah. I mean, the rest of that Nationals order is okay. Nothing special. But Rendon and Soto, like, I'm just still floored. Like, you do not let Rendon or Soto beat you. It is extra innings, game five, season on the line. You you do everything in your power to get through Rendon and Soto in the heart of that order, even if you have to use two or three pitchers, instead of just throwing Joe Kelly out there again and saying he was good in the ninth. Well, he was good in the ninth against the eighth, ninth, eight, nine, one. <laughs> eight, nine, one, not two, three, four. So Dave Roberts just completely mismanaging those situations. That was pretty perplexing. It really was. I completely, I mean, I completely agree with you there. And it's just, it's weird, right? It's like, that seems so anti him as well. Cause normally I feel like he has a good pulse on when to balance a lot of different factors of what's going on. But again, we're in postseason baseball, right? Like yeah. they were, I, th- this isn't a really correct term, but they were due to not make the world series. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they made it the last two years. It just getting to the world series three years in a row, highly improbable, despite how good they were and how much better they are than everybody else in the national league. I just thought it was going to come at the hands of the Braves. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are, Nationals Cardinals in the NLCS. A little disappointing. Do you have a pick for the NLCS? Nationals. Gotta you, be. you said that pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, I, no, the Cardinals cannot even come close to matching their pitching. We could have said a lot of the same, what you're saying about the Cardinals well, to the Braves. They have Jack Flaherty, but... Jack Flaherty... That dude's a dog, right? He might be the best pitcher in the series. I mean, he, With he might, the way he's since pitching. Since the All-Star break, he might be the best pitcher in baseball. Right. Whoa, Garrett Cole. Garrett Jack Cole. Flaherty was pretty dang good. I mean, they're both up there, right? In the National League. They may be one, two. They honestly may be one, yes. two. One A, one B. Yes, the two best pitchers in baseball yeah. right now. And that, that wouldn't that be so fun to see square off in the World Series? But Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, Doolittle in the pin, all that kind of stuff. That they, I was listening to some talk on the Wharton's Moneyball podcast when I was driving up, and they were talking about how back in 2001, it felt like Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling were always on the mound for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Mm-hmm. It's going to feel the same way for the Nationals, where you're just always going to feel like, wait, Scherzer's pitching again? Didn't he just pitch? Oh, wait, no, that was Strasburg. And Corbin. But wait, wasn't Strasburg just <laughs> pitching? Oh, wait, no, that, that was Corbin. Wait, didn't Scherzer pitch last night in the ninth? Oh, yeah, he's back, right? I think yeah. I think. Everything broke perfectly for them to be in this op- in this opportunity where they're facing a team that they are better than. Mm-hmm. If randomness happens again, randomness happens again. But I think the Nationals are the better team right now with all a lot of indicators that they have what it takes. I I, I tend to agree with you. By the way, Patrick Corbin out of the pen, his appearance out of the pen, I thought was the X factor in that comeback. 
Because mm-hmm. he came in, inning and a third, got three strikeouts. Yeah. In some high-stress situations. And they're going to keep doing that because they kind of have to. Right. They have no other choice. Hudson and Doolittle are really the only ones out of that pen that you can yes. rely on. Yes. And it's that time of year. And I think Scherzer, at his age, he doesn't have that under his belt. He will pitch until his arm falls off like Justin Verlander. I think the Nationals are going to do to Max Scherzer what the Red Sox did to Chris Sale last postseason. Mm-hmm. And they are going to ride Scherzer as long as they can. Yep. Use him as much as they can to win a World Series. And if that happens, then Scherzer next year, I'm not drafting him in any fantasy drafts. And he goes on cruise control a little bit, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to say Nationals win this in six. That sounds about right. I'm going to say Nats in six. That sounds about right. But I me. would not be surprised at all if it was like Cardinals in five. Because I think there is going to be a little bit of a reset for the Nationals that they have to do because it was such a dramatic win against such a good team in such a big moment for that franchise Wednesday night. Yep. This Cardinals team, a a lot of players on that team have been there, done that. You can't say that about the Nationals. Mm Mm-hmm. So they they celebrated. But a lot like of they, guys in this Nationals team have also been through the ringer with the Nationals, where they haven't gotten there. Yeah, and they've been priming for this. And there's there is something magical with this Nationals team. Think back to the wild card game, where yeah, everything that happened in the eighth inning with Juan Soto, Trent Grisham letting the ball go past him, how they won that game, how they won in in L.A. There is a little bit of a, a magical feel to the Nationals right now. I get the feeling Juan Soto is going to become a legend. Like he's uh, it's it's been building all postseason. He's just done things. With, like the, I mean, the homer off Kershaw, him hitting that ball is just seared into my mind with that ball off the bat. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling Juan Soto is going to make a case that he is one of the more prolific players in one of the most prolific young players uh-huh. in postseason history. Okay. He's 20. That's astonishing. He's younger than me. And that is crazy for me to think. That is crazy. Having played high school baseball, having played on the same-ish circuit he was on, mm-hmm. even though he's from across the sea, it's nuts. And that's just not supposed to happen. The ALCS, Houston versus New York. We didn't really spend any time talking about the ALDS I thought both series were boring and compare. Ah, in no, comparison. the Rays, the Rays gave you something yeah, to watch. The Rays I and never, Garrett Cole, twenty-five strikeouts in the division series. Come on, that that's was, an all-time record. But, com, but when you're comparing it directly to the Cardinals Braves series, which, if it was a best of nine, would have gone nine games, and the Nationals Dodgers with all the drama in that game five, what Houston and Tampa Bay was nice. Yeah. Tampa Bay made it interesting. I never, I never took him seriously, even going into Game 5. I was like, there's no way they win this game. Yeah, but it, they were they still did so much more than you expected. And then the Twins just laid a that complete was egg. That was chalk. That was weirdly gross. Com- it was so predictable, though. It was so <laughs> predictable. I told you during the, during the stretch run that the Twins were a farce. Can't and play. that the Yankees I- were going to beat them. They won 101 games this season. And they haven't won a playoff game since you were born. <laughs> well, the Braves haven't won a playoff series since I won, and I went with them too. I'm here to buck trends. I'm here yep. to go against history. No, you, that, that's fair. The Nationals have never won a playoff series ever. 
That's after hey, moving from Montreal. So there we go. There's a first time for everything. How how do you see this this series shaking out between the Yankees and Astros? Oh, it's going to be so fun! So much firepower. Seven games. Oh, I mean six or seven is a lock, right? Unless unless one team, unless the Ast- I think that I think the only way it, it ends in four or five is if the Astros just are firing on all cylinders in every way possible. Mm-hmm. Verlander's going to come back with a vengeance. I Garrett Cole is almost untouchable right now. Yeah, I. Unless you're a nerd like Eric Sogard. <laughs> a complete nerd with, with the rec specs on the field. <laughs> but I kind of think the Yankees are going to win this. I, I picked him at the beginning of the year, and then I said, man, this Astros team looks really, really good in the midseason. So, you know what? I'll, I'll stick with Cal- what Calvin said back in March, and I'll say Yankees, but okay. I don't believe that at all. I, I've, I've been on that Astros train since about mid-April. That's when I veered for my Red Sox pick. Yeah. <laughs> The Astros look vulnerable. As good as Cole is, as good as Verlander is, the offense is not doing what the Yankees' offense is doing. That's true. Yet again, the Twins, though, I mean, that those pitchers... True. That, know, that's that, valid. That's, that's going to manipulate it a little bit. I, they don't have Grinky Verlander, Cole. No. Not, nothing close. Their games one through three did not look like that Jake at Odorizzi's all. Jake not that guy. I think the, the Astros lost the ALCS when they lost game four to Tampa Bay. Because I think if okay. you could have opened the series with Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander against the Yankees at home and gone up 2 nothing, I think that would have been a distinct advantage in the series. But with Grinky opening, I think he's a step behind Verlander and, and Cole right now. I don't think you're losing much, though. I really don't. I think the Yankees are going to win game one, and it's going to be one of those back-and-forth series. And the Yankees take yeah. it in six or if seven. It's, if it's back and forth, though, does that not kind of give the Astros an advantage with their horses going in the later games? But on how much rest? See, they don't trust Wade Miley to be a fourth starter. No. Right? Yeah. I mean, Wade Miley has been awful down the stretch. Mm-hmm. So are they just going to ride those big three on short rest? If that's the case, then you are putting... That's what the Nationals are going to do. You think so? Yeah. You don't think they pitch Anibal Sanchez even for like a three or four inning okay, outing? They, they could, but I don't think Anibal Sanchez is... Well, no. I mean, him and Wade Miley could be comparable. Yeah. Wade Miley's just I, I, not pitching I would take Sanchez well over right Miley. Yeah, but... For sure. But it's... The distance is not that far off. I think the two situations are really comparable. I, I and, just, and the problem with what I'm saying is that the Nationals are playing the Cardinals and the Astros are playing the Yankees. And the Yankees are way better than the Cardinals, presumably. I think it's going to end up being Yankees-Nationals in the World Series. I'm going to stick I'm going to stick with what Calvin said at the beginning of the year because Calvin is an oracle who knows all. <laughs> and he said the is Yankees he really though? and he said the Yankees are going to get there and I trust Calvin of the past. So, I will pick the Yankees but that is very disingenuous of what I think right now. Okay. As the baseball fan in me, personally, I don't want Yankees Cardinals. You I, don't I, want I, Yankees? I, yeah, I, no, I, no, I don't think anybody does. Blech. That's, that's like everybody's two least favorite organizations. Blech. Yeah, it makes me want to throw up. I have a particular a disdain for the Yankees. So. Yeah, I have a particular <laughs> disdain for the St. Louis Cardinals. So uh, we can agree on that. So... That's it for previewing the ALCS and the NLCS, but we still have 
our favorite segment every podcast around the horn. This is a pretty common discussion around the MLB playoff format. I kind of alluded to it in the beginning with what you and I were talking about, Ryan, but Mm -hmm. in the division series, it's a best of five format. Do you like that? Do you think it should be seven? Do you think the wild card should have more games? I feel like there are a lot of people who have a lot of problems with all of this, and I'm not one of them. So at some point, you you can't have the wild card be a best of three and then the DS be a best of seven. Of course not, unless you shorten the season. And then all of a sudden you're getting into mid-November with your postseason, which we all know. You're playing in the snow. Which we, exactly. We all know baseball wants to limit their postseason to the month of October. As they should. I still don't like the best of five for this reason. The Minnesota Twins won over 100 games this year and only had one playoff game, home playoff game. Yeah, okay. I see you, you win all those games and you win your division and you only get one home playoff game. Yeah. that's Something that's, about that doesn't seem right. That's a point you don't hear as often because a lot of people say it's not fair. It's not supposed to be fair. We're not in this for fairness sake. Yeah. I mean, come on now. That's not what we're going for. But... Yes, the the Twins should have had more of an opportunity at home, probably. But at the same time, win a couple more games and get the home advantage. Or don't lay a complete egg in the playoffs. See, if they were to go best of seven in the division series and not cut down the regular season, I would just get rid of the wild card game. They won't do it, no. but that's what I would do. And just have that time allotted in the week to the first couple games yeah. of the division series and not the wild card games. It's fun. It's about excitement. Yep. The Boston Red Sox, who you picked to get to the World Series in the preseason, Ryan, wah, wah. have not lived up to expectations. And there's a guy up there who is very close to everybody in Nashville's heart, yep. Mookie Betts. A lot of lot, a lot has been swirling about him and his future in Boston. And there's some talk about trade destinations because he doesn't seem all that happy with the Red Sox. Well, and the Red Sox, I think it, it kind of looks like they're going to try to cut some payroll. Yes. Okay. And they don't have a lot of movable contracts on that roster. They're not going to trade Chris Sale. Nope. The, you know, there's just a lot of dead weight on that roster in terms of contracts. So Mookie Betts has only signed through 2020. And he's been vocal about hitting free agency and getting the money that he deserves. Mm-hmm. So MLB trade rumors. Great site, by the way. It is a great resource for offseason activity came out with the top teams that could be interested or could be fits for Mookie Betts if the Red Sox were to decide to trade him this offseason, which the Red Sox could get a king's ransom in return for Mookie Betts, even though Mookie Betts would probably only be on that spot for one year. You want to hear the teams? Yes. The top four teams, according to MLB Trade Rumors. Yes. Phillies. I feel like that's not as likely. I don't feel like they are one of the four most likely teams, but. Padres. Yes, absolutely. Mets. Could see it. Reds. I knew. <laughs> you knew that was coming, didn't you? I knew it. What, now, are your, what are your Reds give up? You already gave up Taylor Trammell. You give up Hunter Green, who just had Tommy John surgery, the former number two overall pick in the draft, a guy who was a stud in high school. Everyone was comparing him to Babe Ruth. He was he on could, the cover of SI. Yeah, the rare type stuff from like a six-foot-five kid in high school. Mm-hmm. Well, you'd have to start with Nick Senzel. And you know what? Probably worth it. I don't know if I would hate that. No. I, no, I like you. Senzel, but 
he looks like a very injury-prone player. Struggled through the minors to stay healthy. Struggled this year in the majors to stay healthy. And he's a little bit older because he went through college. Yeah. Um, Jonathan India, another one of your top prospects. Yep. You would probably have to part ways with him. One or two of your pitching prospects, not named Hunter Green. I don't think I, I don't think you can part with Hunter Green, personally. Because I don't mm-hmm. think Mookie Betts puts the Reds in the World Series next year. and He might come to the playoffs, which yeah. the, that's what the Reds are, Reds are striving for. They, they gave up assets to get Trevor Bauer for 2020. They did. Which, which we talked about was befuddling, and we kind of questioned the whole direction of what they're doing. So if they're trading for Mookie Betts, I'm a little bit confused by that. The, the Reds have, an, have a need in the outfield. They do, but it, is, is Mookie enough to mend they it? Would, they would need more. The, yeah, they I would mean, need another middle I want, infielder. I wonder what else comes and encompasses that in free agency and in other places. Because if you're giving up Mookie, like you said, it's going to take a king's ransom. And it's tough to get a lot mm-hmm. if you gave up everything for Mookie. Yep. Speaking of the Reds, Ryan, your team made a very good hire that I feel like I am particularly educated on. If you're a if you're a frequent listener to the podcast, especially at the beginning of the show, you heard me ask a lot of our guests about rap soto cameras, edgetronic type things that are these new age technological advances in baseball. And the Reds came out and they said checkmate to the rest of Major League Baseball because they went out and they hired a guy named Kyle Bodie who is the founder of Driveline Baseball a place up in Seattle, Washington really right outside Seattle in Kent, Washington if Mm -hmm. I'm being specific which I am but what Driveline does is they use incredibly high level technology to evaluate pitching and hitting Mostly pitching. That's kind of where they've made their bread and butter is Mm -hmm. taking a lot of pitchers and turning them into absolute freaks. That guys who they've resurrected careers of. Kyle Bodie is a guy who founded this company and is a very crazy story. You should go look him up if you're a Reds fan and you want to learn a little bit about how he's going to change the Reds organization. But Kyle Bodie is basically Trevor Bauer's personal trainer i'm gonna say okay like not not physical trainer not in terms of you know his strength or whatever but in terms of his being prepared to pitch every day throughout the course of a season building up arm strength trevor bauer is very Mm non-traditional the guy behind that is kyle bodie Mm -hmm. and they they work with vanderbilt they work with a lot of well really every major league baseball organization and the reds just said hey this guy who's this guy who owns a company that is employed by every big college team, every big major league baseball team, we're going to hire him for our own purposes. And that is what you're getting in Kyle Bodie Ryan. I wanted to inform you of this hire Thank you. because you did not know who he was. I, I I had heard of Driveline Baseball. Yes. Because of you on yes. this podcast. I did not know Kyle Bodie was the guy behind it. And you you sent me a message on Twitter saying this is a crucial and underrated move for the Cincinnati Reds. And Kyle Bodie is going to become the director of pitching initiatives and pitching coordinator. He also said on Twitter that he's going to work almost entirely in the minor leagues. Which is which is exactly where they make their money at Driveline is by development, right? Because once a guy gets to the bigs, it's really hard to remake a lot of what's already gone wrong. But they get at them when they're young and work with them throughout that. They've been consulting with major league organizations for years now. So what do you think this means for Hunter Green? It means he's going to be put in probably the best data-driven approach to maximizing his potential. 
obviously you can't ensure mm-hmm. that he's going to be a great pitcher now, but they are very good and they take a very scientific mathematical approach to kinesiology and other studies of the body like biomechanics and stuff. They leverage incredible data tools to maximize the output of your body. I think they're at the foundation and the cutting edge of creating the new wave of athletes that are coming where we hit a new level in the diminishing returns curve of athletes' production. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that the law of diminishing returns is a thing in economics where we continue to push further as a society. This isn't happening in football. I don't know of anything like this in basketball. I don't know of anything like this in hockey. Driveline Baseball has pioneered something in the sport of baseball that's going to proliferate around the world. And the Reds hired the guy who started it. This is the most excited I've seen you on this podcast. Well, if you can't tell, I really like to talk about this stuff. I mean, I really do. I asked a lot of our guests about it. I'm so passionate about it. I will fight anyone to the death about it. Good on the Reds for buying into this philosophy. I know David Bell has been changing some of those ways. Uh, So good on the Reds for taking that leap with Kyle Bodie. Hopefully it works out. Joe Madden. Ryan, you told me. You told me at the beginning of the year. And you know what? I even talked about it with Darren McFarlane. Darren was like, oh, I would have never guessed that at the beginning of the year. But Joe Madden was not brought back as the manager of the Cubs a few weeks ago. Now there are rumors about where he's going to end up. It kind of sounds like he's going to end up with the Angels. Which, the Angels could be a sleeping giant. Uh, you, okay, you just shrug your shoulders, okay? They have the best player... In they this do. generation of baseball. Maybe ever. They've been wasting some of his best years on a 70 or 80 win team. But you, we've seen the Angels go out and try to buy wins. Okay. They can't just go out and remake this organization all of a sudden. Where did Garrett Cole come from? Garrett Cole, he was a trade acquisition by the Astros, uh, who is a first-round pick out of UCLA. Out of oh, He's a SoCal boy. I, Garrett Cole is a free agent. The Angels have money to spend. You know they do. They throw money around to Josh Hamilton, to Albert Pujols. Yeah. If they make the investment to go get Joe Madden as manager, I would I would bet pretty good money that Garrett Cole ends up on the Angels staff this winter. But the Angels aren't the pitching factory the Astros are. Okay. The Astros have a different approach to training every day throughout a major league season that no other team in the in the majors does right, but the Angels will not replicate Garrett Cole's success. Okay, well, if you're Garrett Cole, this is your opportunity to hit it big, and he will, and good for them. Are the Astros going to pony up to Garrett no, Cole? No, as they probably shouldn't. And the Angels have money to spend; they throw money around. Yeah, that is his backyard. And the guy they the, the guy they they will pay for will not be the guy they get. I I would agree with that. I mean, he's not going to be the strikeout king. And just the horse that he is with the Astros right now. And the Astros may use him to a point where it may not matter which organization he goes to. He just may not be the same, just like some of these other pitchers that we've seen. Madison Bumgarner, after the Giants heavily used him, he hasn't quite been the same in the last couple years. Chris Sale this past season was not quite the same as he was. It may not matter where Garrett Cole goes, but I'm going to tell you, Joe Madden... If they go out and spend that money on Garrett Cole, they have Joe Adele coming up from the minors. Fantastic prospect. A freak prospect. The Angels, if they get Joe, and Joe Madden knows how to work his magic in the first few years of being a manager at a new destination. 
So if Joe Madden ends up in the Angels, watch out for that team, even in a division with the A's and the Astros. It's it's just such a tough outfield battle. I can't believe in the Angels, even if they get Joe Madden. And they have Shohei Otani. Yes, they do. But who else do they have? They get they have Shohei. They have Trout. They go get Cole. They have Cole Calhoun. I I love Cole <laughs> Calhoun in MLB 17 The Show. Let me tell you, I would play my buddy in MLB 17 The Show all the time online on that game. And I always played with Cole Calhoun. I always got him on one of my teams somehow because he just absolutely destroyed Jacob Fuse pitching. But Cole Calhoun is not who you're looking at and you're saying, I think that's their piece. You know who else they have? Tommy LaStella. Ella, Ella, eh, eh, eh. As my parent, when Tommy LaStella was a Braves, my parents would always say, LaStella! Like Stella from that movie I also haven't seen. So I, I, don't get, I get the reference, although I've never and will never see the movie where they say, Stella! So I don't get it. Now but. it just sounds like How I Met Your Mother. Because, oh, okay. What was his name? The, the dude I compare to Chase all the time. Um, I, you know, okay. Starts with a T. Uh, While you try to remember, I will sound off on How I Met Your Mother because when I watched that show and I saw that ending, I vowed to never think about it again. I hated it so much. Why? I, I cried, Ryan. Ted. I, Ted. There you go. I hated Ted Mosby. It. I hated How I Met Your Mother so much. Why? And I don't have to stall anymore because the ending was so absolutely horrendous. I watched it. I cried. I sat beside my sister and I said, I'm never watching this again. And that was probably seven years ago. And I've never even thought about it since because it's so bad. Okay. So I had the benefit of watching How I Met Your Mother on Netflix way past the time in which the season finale happened. That is also when I, how I consumed. I, I think I was in se- I think I was in season two or three when the season finale or the series finale happened. Okay. And I remember there being outrage over it. I remember it too. And somebody told me back then, when you get to the final episode, you watch the alternate version on YouTube instead of the one on Netflix. Do that and you will have a much better impression of how I much your mother. No. They deserve. So I follow. They deserve through with everybody's that. disdain. I, I followed through with that. How I Met Your Mother. I, I thought was a fantastic series. I loved it. It, it was great when I watched it. But I, you did you watch every episode? Yeah. Uh, okay. You cannot come back from what you did to me in that final episode. They will never come back. And every time it's been on, my mom has said, "Oh, let's watch it." Jillian is my sister. Has said, "Oh, let's watch it." You know, we haven't seen it in so long. No. I literally walked out of the living room once and did not watch TV with my family because okay. they watched it. Okay. Well, that kind of sounds like a you problem. Sure. I will take it all day long. I think that's how we are going to close out the Home Play podcast. The next time we're on, we'll be probably breaking down the World Series. My heart will not be broken by the Atlanta Braves. The Washington Nationals will be in the World Series. As will the New York Yankees, just like I said at the beginning of the year. My Washington Nationals. Your Ryan Porth's Washington Nationals. We'll talk to you soon on the Home Play Podcast, ESPN 1025 The Game and TheGameNashville.com.